So, in the beginning, everything was good. God created everything, and he said it was very good. God created man, and with man, God resided. He walked, and he talked, and he communed with mankind. We see that God was just strolling through the garden. There was no disconnect. There was no tension. There were no issues. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. In Genesis chapter 3, mankind decided that they wanted something more. And instead of being plugged into God, they were now disconnected. God did not give up on his creation. He did not just throw in the towel. He raised up a nation called Israel. But Israel, time after time after time after time, told God that they were choosing something else. And they were far away. The disconnect was still there, and the chasm continued to grow. And then, between the Old and the New Testament, God's a little bit silent. But then he comes back in a big way. He makes the first move, and he sends Jesus Jesus comes to the earth with one purpose, and that purpose is to bring us back. And Jesus dies. Though he was perfect, he dies a sinner's death. But three days later, the light came back on. And he appeared to those who we call apostles, those who saw Jesus after he had died and he came back and he said, you believe now. And it was like this for a little bit longer. He came and he taught and he ate and he hung out. But then Jesus said something that the disciples probably weren't ready for. And that said, I'm going home. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. There's someone coming after me. But now it's your job because though you have seen me, the rest of the world hasn't. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And I imagine that the disciples and the apostles, after Jesus went up, were looking at what they had in Jesus and the world around them. What are we supposed to do again? How, how, how does this work? And the first generation of Christians already messed it up. Paul has to write them and says, listen, these Gentiles who are coming to know Jesus, I, we preached to you one gospel, and that gospel was Jesus was who he said he was, he did what he said he was going to do. When these Gentiles come, hey, you guys with the Jewish background, there's no qualifiers. They don't have to prove to you that they need Jesus or that they're holy enough to get this. You just plug them in. And if the first generation couldn't get it, 
Haven't we ever since been looking at this like, how does this work? And we've tried. There's a generation of Christians who thought that, you know, all it would take is for a Christian to be in charge of this whole thing. And things would get better. And so Constantine comes. But there's still a lot of lights out. And then, unfortunately, there was a group of Christians who saw this problem and said the only way to do it is to force people to connect. And we call it the Crusades. Now, I'm not saying everything that we've tried is bad or that they didn't have good intentions, but we're still stuck with this. I mean, just think about the generations that are represented here today. You've got a generation where... This was tried to be connected by evangelists who would go town to town and set up tents or meet in a church house and they would preach and they would go to the next place. We've got generations here who the way to do this was these things called tracks and you would have these little uh, note cards or things like this and you would go and you would go up to a complete stranger and you would give it to them and you would walk away. And then we've got a generation who sits behind a keyboard, and they try to tell people about Jesus by that. They share things that 99% of us will not look at that and pass it on. But the 1% who really loves Jesus will pass that on. Number one, please stop doing that. It's annoying. Number two, <laughs> that's not the way it works. But we're here, right? I mean, last week the challenge was there's three people, at least in your life, that need this and start praying for them and I don't know if you've had the same thought I've had when praying this week but that's God a lot of times just don't see it happen I just don't know and so we've got a world like this disconnected from the one way to their source of power and we have tried, and we have tried, and we have tried. Every generation has come and said, how would Jesus do it in 1953? How would Jesus do it in 1989? And we sit here today, how would Jesus evangelize in 2016? What would his Twitter account say? What would he be taking pictures of and posting on Instagram? What would Jesus be doing? And I think that we're missing the point. It's not about what Jesus would be doing now. It's emulating what Jesus did then. The phrase, let's not reinvent the wheel, comes to mind. Sure, we can try to adapt some things, but the best way to do it is the way Jesus did it. If you will, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, or click on your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're on the app, it's the first scripture there. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we ask the question, how do we do it? Paul says, in your relationships, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? Verse 6, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made for himself he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that, every, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus showed us how to do it. Because he could have done whatever he wanted to do. He's Jesus. He could have came as a fully grown man and said, all right, where's the crown? He could have came as a creature or something we have never seen just so we can marvel at his beauty, something straight out of Revelation, and we would have been, yeah, you win. But the God of the universe, the one who created you and me, said, now I'll spend... Nine months in that womb, just like you had to, and I'll learn to walk like you had to, and I'll live my life like you have to, because the people I'm here to save had to do it too. Jesus wasn't standoffish. Jesus didn't try to do things his own way. Jesus did it our way. He just did it perfectly. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. But we're not prepared. Like, we don't have all the answers. 1 Peter says, he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give as Thorough explanation of everything in the Bible to every single person who asks you if you're reading the Bible or you're following along, you know that that's not what it says. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's no answers in there, there's no lengthy explanation for everything. It's just, why do you have hope? And the answer is, because I have Jesus. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So let's take a look at our situation. We're here, and we see that this is our job, that we're supposed to connect people to Jesus because he connects us to God. And it says that we need to get involved in this world, that we're to go and to make disciples. Paul talks about to the weak we become weak. We try to fit in without doing everything that the world is doing. Paul or uh, Peter says that we give a reason for the hope that we have, and that's the only thing that we need to be ready to give. And yet, it seems like everybody's over there, and all we do is stand over here. Because you know who else is over here? All the other lights. If you want an interesting thing this week, read through the Gospels and make a tally. How many times do we see Jesus in a synagogue? There's a few. Parents of the year, Mary and, and Joseph lost him there one time. 
Can you imagine that prayer? <laughs> Dear God, you know the Messiah you gave us? You got another one because we don't know where that one. But we see that he's there. We see that he goes to worship a few times. He's around the synagogue. We see that he gets really angry in the temple. And I'm not saying Jesus didn't go to church. Just seeing. See how many times they're in there. Then, count how many times he's with his disciples. Now that's a little bit more. There are more times that Jesus is with his disciples and hanging out with his disciples, teaching his disciples. But then... Count how many times he's with people who no one else would want to be with. Count how many times he's with the leper, the sinner, the outcast. And you're going to realize the reason that we're doing this wrong is because we're spending all of our time in the first two places. Listen, if today is it for us, as far as our spiritual life is concerned, then all we've done is have a bunch of lights light up a sanctuary and a commons. If all we do is have our home group over to our small group over to our house every once in a while, hang out in our little Christian cliques, then all we're doing is lighting up a house. But if we have the light of Christ inside of us and we go out into the darkness, then we light up the world. Now, which one sounds like the one Jesus wants us to do? The world was darkness, and yet John 1 tells us that a light came. He illuminated everything around him. And so how do we do it? We do it like Jesus did it. And this is how Jesus did it. In Luke 19, he's walking down the street and he sees a guy up in a tree. And he looks at him and he says, Hey, hey, you tax collector. Hey, thief, money launderer, get down. One-on-one conversation. Come here. No, he says, Zacchaeus. Come down. Let's have lunch. In Acts 9, he blinds a guy. And he says, hey. Hey, you murderer. Hey, you blasphemer. Hey, you want to pick on somebody your own size? No. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting? In John 21, he pulls up his chair to the table and has that smug look that our Jesus has when he's ready to tell someone. And he said, I told you, you denier, you backstabber. I told you you were going to deny me. Now he says, Simon, do you love me? see the biggest difference between how we evangelize and Jesus evangelizes is we call people by their sin and Jesus calls them by their name.
and we're never going to be able to connect with a lost and dying world if honestly all we see is their sin or if their perception is all we see is their sin. Jesus ate with, he hung out with, he stayed at people's houses who were sinners, who were thieves, who were tax collectors, who were adulterers. And if we are ready to live out the call that Jesus has in our life, then we have to understand that the same has to be true about us. That we no longer call people and identify people because of their... We don't call people their sins. We call them their names. Because you can't get to know someone unless you know their name. See, the problem with evangelistic tent popping up and leaving and tracks is that we try to reach as many people as possible from the furthest away distance. It's a splash and go. But Jesus stayed. You know, you're probably not going to invite a thief over to your house. You might invite a Josh. You're probably not going to invite uh, an a addict to your women's Bible study. You, you might invite a Sarah. You might not ask a murderer to sit next to you with that extra ticket to the Western game on Thursday. But you might ask a Scott. Because when we start seeing people as their name, their true identity, we stop seeing them as what sin has made them do. And then we see them exactly the way Jesus sees them. We are to make people understand that who Jesus sees is who he created them to be and not what sin has done with them. So when I was 17 years old, uh, we started this ministry back home. I've, I've told this story. Um, I, I know to the youth, I, I'm probably here, but none of you remember. So um, uh, 17 years old, we, we started this ministry. We, we would do this worship service every month, and we had the same format. We would do a worship song, have two little devotions, and then another worship song, and then a little skit, and then uh, we would close it out with an invitation time and do one more service, worship song, we'd be done. And so we did this, and then people actually started to come. And so we would do these worship services, and we started getting invited places. And we went to this one church, and we did it for their Sunday night service. And afterwards, a guy comes down, and he says, Listen, I, I, I live in Willisburg. I look, work at a, a boarding school there, and we would like you to come and do chapel. And so we, were, we didn't ask questions like, Where's Willisburg? We just said, Okay, that's fine. Um, we're going. And then a couple days before, uh, he gave us the information on the place, what time we were supposed to be there. A couple days before, because we were proactive, we were like, okay, let's start planning the service. And we, we Googled uh, this place, and it was dial-up, so it took forever, and it, it popped up. And like, we were really pumped, because we were going to go tell rich kids about Jesus at this boarding school. And, um, and it's basically a teenage rehab center. 
And so we were looking around like, anybody else feel like they have laryngitis? I have laryngitis. Do you have laryngitis? Like, we're not ready for this. Well, we've already told them we're coming, so we show up. And we've got our little band, and we've got our preconceived notion on what they need to hear. And we walk in, and the band starts playing, and we start singing. And the person singing has got their eyes closed, their hands lifted, which is probably good because everybody else had their eyes closed and snoring. They weren't paying attention. We got up, and the first person did their devotion. And they really meant well. They really meant well. And they could care less. The second person got up and did their devotion. They really meant well too. And they can care less. And so I'm the third person. I'm the one that's supposed to wrap this thing up and give this invitation to a people who haven't been listening. And so I remembered growing up, we'd go to the basketball camp and the head coach there uh, at basketball camp would take a basketball. And uh, while he was talking, he would throw it into the crowd because if you weren't paying attention, you got hit. That's the way it happened. Uh, he wouldn't have a job nowadays, but that's what he did. He, he went around and he would throw the basketball into the crowd because he kept you awake. And so I, we were in a gym. That's where the chapel was. I went to the guy who asked us to come here. And I said, do you have a basketball? And so I got a basketball. And I said, okay, listen, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to get hit in the head with this basketball. And so people perked up a little bit. And so I started walking around and I'm, I'm doing this message. And I just start throwing this basketball into the, the, the group of, of kids there. The guys were all in one corner, the girls were all in the other corner because they had to be separated. And, and so I would throw a couple of balls there, I'd get them back, and I'd go over. I th- and I'm just talking about Jesus this entire time. And then I finally just hold the ball and I give this invitation. You know, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to come forward. And 75 people come. And I was like, that had to be the best sermon that has ever been preached. On the fa- like, it really, how powerful of a sermon that that these people would come, 75%. And so we, we talked to them, and we, we hooked them up with the chaplain there, and they were saved, and it's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. A couple of weeks later, we got a, a, a letter, or I guess an email, I don't know, one of the two, and, and it said, hey, we heard what you did at this place. And we're like, I'm, I'm sure you did. It's probably legendary by this time. But, you know, yeah, we, we heard what you, you did at this place. We would like you to come. Give us a call. So I call, and I said, yeah, we, we'd like to call we like to come, well, you guys have, and say, well, we have a camp, and it's for kids just like this group, and we belong to this network, and somebody wrote in this newsletter about what you all did there, and I'm like, oh, sure they did. It was the best thing that ever happened to them, and, and so they said, yeah, they said you threw a ball at them. I was like, well, yeah, there's the most awesome message of all time, too. I mean, it was more than this ball, right, because it was the message that, that got to these people. They said, they told us that you threw the ball at them, And the next line said, we have been preached to for three years by people thinking that they know what's going on in our life. And for the first time, it seemed like someone knew we were there. I'm sure the message was good. It was the gospel. But what got them was that someone acknowledged that they were there. So we can keep just trying to throw these messages out here, like a Jackson Pollock painting spewing it and hoping that it sticks, or we can call people by their name, we can tell them why we have hope, 
And then they know that Jesus loves them. If you are a Christian, you are commissioned. If you are saved, you are sent. If you are redeemed, you are a rescuer. There is not a second level to Christianity that you have to achieve before you go and evangelize them. The idea is if you are saved, then God is going to save others through the work that you do. And so every single person in this room fits one of two categories and one of two invitations today. Either this is your life, disconnected from God, you're doing things on your own. Let me tell you, there is no better decision that you will ever make in your life than to say that Jesus was who he was, that he did what he said he was going to do, and that he is the Son of God. It is the only way to have eternal life. It's the only way to have connection to God. Being good doesn't get this light on. Being uh, productive doesn't get this light on. Being a civil servant doesn't get this light on. Only Jesus does. And so today, we invite you during this time to come forward and to give your life to Christ. And because something amazing happens, because the light of the world comes into your life and it changes it forever. So that's invitation one. Invitation two is this. You, if you are a Christian, have the obligation to reach people for the gospel. And so maybe it's those three people that you listed last week. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's your parents. But someone you have connection with needs Jesus. You are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. What you say about that person is what they think Jesus says about them. What you say to that person is what they say, think that Jesus is saying to them. And so this morning, I invite you. I plead with you. But there is a dark world out there. And we need more lights. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for loving us. So often we personalize Bible verses. And so that you so love the world that you gave your son means that I get to have eternal life. No, it means that I and everybody else who has ever lived gets to have eternal life. That sacrifice on that cross wasn't just for me. It's not just for the people who look like me and talk like me and act like me. It's not just for the people who have already accepted Jesus. That, that cross is a notice to the entire world that someone loves them so much that they canceled the debt that they owe. And that cross is what plugs us into you and connects it. And so, Father, I pray that today one or two things happen. Either today we get plugged in for the very first time or today, having already given our life to Christ, we accept the calling that is to go and make disciples. That we connect people to you because you designed us to be connected to you. Father, we thank you that when you see us, you do not see us and label us as our sins. 
you see us as your child. Help us to treat other people like that too. Help us to see people as you see them, to treat them as you treat them, and love them as you love them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward. Let's go and connect people to Christ. The challenge for this week, Labor Day is coming up. We want you to invite people who you weren't going to invite to your house for a Labor Day cookout. If you don't have a house, then take them to the cookout. Pay for their meal so that you can start making connections to win people to Jesus. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward. Let's stand and listen.